So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's, 
healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So, in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Good morning. So, uh, I wanted to share this video. Um, I, don't agree, I don't agree with everything, especially at the end exactly. I think it's a better news story than that, but um, now... But I, I will say that the cool part of that video is is to explain the difference between heaven, which is, which is up here, and earth. The first verse in the Bible is that God created the heavens and the earth. And the idea that these things were together. So, as a Christian, though, I don't know if you ever struggle with the difference between the spiritual and the physical. And if you try to, you know as it relates to day-to-day operations, how you walk, how does that work? Where should your headspace be as it relates to the spirit, which is like the immaterial, the presence of God, this, these things you can't see, versus what's right in front of you? I mean, we, we deal with what's right in front of us every day. So today I want to just talk about how we operate in an economy that's spiritual versus just the economy we operate in the physical. Because if you're just operating in the physical, you're dealing with problems that come. Whenever there's a prayer request, over 90%, if not all of them, are always a physical situation. Somebody's sick, you know, somebody died, uh, somebody had trauma. Generally speaking, these are physical things, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we need God's help in those areas. But what is the spiritual? What, what, do we, what do we talk about when you hear a pastor or somebody that's teaching always talk about the high-level spiritual? And do you get kind of fuzzy when those discussions are happening? Or do you think, hey, I like to come to church because I just like to be part of the group. 
I like to be in a group that, that, that everybody's nice to me because it's church and, hey, man, you got a good group of people. People help out every now and then when I get really in, in trouble. And, or do you really identify and do you understand the spiritual, that, that part of, of this, this life or this Christian walk that you can't see but that you have to have in your mind and how do you operate in that economy versus what's right in front of you and what's coming at you all the time? Does that make sense? Does that I, do you guys understand what I'm saying there? Is that that should hit home, you know, because it, it hits home with me and I study this stuff a lot. I really I'm passionate about it. I get into it. I've got Scott up here. Scott's passionate about it. He's in it all the time, every day. We 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 meet on Fridays and just wrestle on stuff like this all the time. But I gotta tell you, I've got stuff coming at me all the time. Physical stuff, money stuff. Like what's more tangible than money? challenges, financial, all these things. I got seven kids, which I take on their stuff too. Not nearly as much as my wife takes it on. She, she really takes, I I just kind of ignore it the best I can. So if I wait long enough, she'll sort of handle it. So, um, anyway, it, these, these questions I, I wrestle with. So I want to talk about how can you understand it more, more clearly. I want to talk about heaven and earth, the physical, the spiritual, and how we bridge the gap. I think that video did a really nice job of talking about how those intersect. Okay, we're coming up to uh, to Easter. Easter is is right around the corner, and this Jesus character, this Jesus fellow, that that walked this earth, the most interesting man on the planet, the number one character in all of human history. What did he do? That's a little bit more than maybe where you're at now. And as far as understanding, I mean, if I, I said, what did he do? The first answer would be he forgave our sins. That's, that's a, I think everybody, children get that easy. It's pretty easy to understand that, hey, he fills up our deficits as it relates to, you know, penalties and, and judgment and all that. And so they know that. So that kind of makes them feel pretty good. But they, most Christians keep going back to the well. They keep going back to him for just that. And I would say, if that's your Christian walk or your Christian understanding, then you are running at a very uh, low level of, of gasoline in your tank. Because it's so much more and such a bigger picture than that. And I want to kind of talk about some of those things and how you can maybe amp your game up. Um, the, the boys and I went to hear a guy named Jordan Peterson talk this week. Um, I can't remember what day that was. It was like Wednesday. And this guy is a clinical psychologist from, from, from Harvard, and he's a Canadian, and very intelligent, and his vocabulary is through the roof. And the guy's not really that dynamic, but he's, he's compelling. So, but I talked to the boys, and I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, ah, it's hard to follow sometimes because his vocabulary was so big. And I said, well, did you, did you try? He goes, oh, they're like, yes. And we got a lot out of it. And it, I, I, I kind of assimilate that in a sports world. Like if, if you're a quarterback and you've got a really fast receiver, you throw that ball way out in front of him. And that receiver will track the ball down if, he's, if he really wants it. So he's got to stretch. He's got he's to push himself to get there. It's like that when you listen to a guy like Jordan Peterson because he's talking over your head, but you've got to follow. And it's, I would rather be in that situation than to be talked down to. Or where it's basics, you know? I don't mind both, you know? Sometimes if I want something easy, 
You know, these videos, I think, are easy because they're illustrated. But I want to challenge you to go deeper into your Christian understanding of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in Christ, which is in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start by basically talking about covenants. I want to talk about covenants and the ideas, idea of the natural, the physical, and then the spiritual. Okay? What is a covenant? And I'm big on this. Anyone will tell you, whoever hangs out with me and talks about Christian stuff, I'm always big on this covenant. Covenant is how God cuts the deal. How does he operate with us as a people? How does he do business with us? And how does he want us to understand it? It's a covenant. And it's pretty graphic. A covenant, a a, a godly covenant, a biblical covenant, has blood. Did you see that? pick that that illustration where the sheep gets his head cut off there's blood there and there's a lot of blood in the old testament every time god cuts a deal with his people some there's got to be blood to seal the deal you've heard of blood brothers a covenant is always in blood okay blood is important to god it just is because the life is in the blood Okay, which means there's got to be life and death at stake when God does business with us because he wants to show us how committed he is or how serious he is as it relates to his part of any type of deal or covenant. So let's just say it's kind of a serious thing and it's sealed in blood. So there are three types of deals that I really focus on a lot. I, I think that there are three big deals in the Bible that mean more to me as far as how I understand them and how they kind of fit together. The first one was the deal that God made with Abraham. Abraham was, was, a, was, a, was an old guy back in the book of Genesis. The, the, one of the books, if you, you know, there are certain books in the Bible that I think are just packed with meaning and purpose, and it's kind of condensed, and it's like it, it, it tells like a bigger story than some other chapters. Genesis 15 is a covenant chapter where God cuts a deal with one man named Abraham. And so with Abraham, in Genesis 15, he says, this is going to be a deal that I'm going to cut with you, and I'm on the hook for all of it. Have a seat. Lay back. I want you to just sit there and be passive and do nothing and just... Let me cut this deal with you. So there's three animals split blood. God comes through the blood in the image of an oven, a fiery oven. And then the deal with Abraham is that he's going to create a a people as vast as the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. Sure. And you guys ever heard that song? Who grew up in church in Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Okay. Well, a Jewish person might say, well, no, you're not. You're a Gentile. You weren't brought up in the Jewish faith, in the Jewish tradition. You weren't born from Father Abraham. Well, in Genesis 15, this is before there was a Jew. This is pre-Jewish. 
So a lot of these deals that are going to go down, the next one I'm going to talk about are specifically for the Jews, okay? Because they were God's chosen people, okay? But Father Abraham, the father of all the Jews, God cut a deal with him before the covenant of circumcision, okay? Which makes a lot of men uncomfortable in this room. However, that was a joke and nobody laughed, okay? Uh, Anyway... Abraham's deal was, was really the first one that I want to talk about, and it's, it, it's, I pretty much did it. it. It's this idea and this promise. So it's in, the, uh, it's in the context of a promise. And with a promise, it's something that's coming, right? So it's hope. So in, in, in Abraham's deal or his covenant, it was a promise and a hope for the future. Okay? Now, the one thing about that covenant that I want you to get out of it uh, as it relates to what's coming is that it was God doing all the work. 100% on God, Abraham just received the covenant. Okay? And why did he pick Abraham? Because Abraham believed God, and God said, you're righteous because you believe in me. You're good, worthy, because of just your belief. So it says in Genesis 15, 6, that really cool chapter, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and then God cuts a deal with him. Okay? Just remember those components there. God did it all, and Abraham was, was, was good to go because of just his belief, not because he earned it, not because of his track record, not because of his 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 amazing accomplishments, his resume. It wasn't that. It was that he believed God, and God appreciated that. So the second covenant is a, is a covenant called the Mosaic Covenant, or it was cut with Moses. So this is the next character in the next covenant. What was the deal with Moses? This is a different type of covenant. This is a covenant, and every covenant was cut in blood, and this one is no different. This one... God is trying to train his people because they're sinful and they're, they're, they're disobedient and he's already delivered them out of Egypt and they're creating a golden calf, you know, while they're waiting for God and Moses to come off the mountain and explain what's the next steps. And they're, they've already moved on within a short period of time to adulterate that relationship with Yahweh God. And so now he cuts this new deal. And I think... I don't know what the first set of tablets said. They may have said the same thing. I'm not sure. But this set of tablets that came down, this new deal, was a list of rules. We'll just say the Ten Commandments to keep it simple. This is not just a unilateral covenant where God does all the work, like like the Abrahamic covenant. This is is a bilateral or a, I'm going to be your God and bless you if you obey me and follow my laws and follow my rules and do what I tell you to do. So it is, it's, everyone's got skin in the game. If they do the right things, God will reward them. What economy does that sound like? If you have a job, you get a wage for your labor, for your work. You get rewarded if you do this. You get paid for doing whatever you do. If you got friends, they like you if you do this. 
Maybe they don't like you if you don't. You know, there's a, it's a deal. It's a, it's a, it's a 50-50 split here. It's like, or 100%, 100%, whatever. If you're married, you know how tough that can be. Okay? If you have, there's deals that are cut that, that, that generally have two sides to it. So this is the Mosaic Covenant. You have to perform in this covenant. And honestly, it's impossible. And I think it's impossible to say, God's trying to prepare the Jews for their Messiah that's supposed to come and save the day. Okay? And clear out these rules and these, cut a new deal. Okay? But in the meantime, it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They would fail, God would curse them in the sense that He would let bad things happen to them. They would repent and come back, God would build them back up. And just when they'd get comfortable, boom, disobedient. Drop them back down. We study this in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible, where it's wash, rinse, and repeat as it relates to obedient, disobedient, obedient, back and forth. Every king, they they had to have a king. That was never in God's plan. They had to have it. So it's, it's man always trying to negotiate with God. Well, so this is a messy thing. This is not going well. It's, it's, it's constant failure, constant Reset, constant failure, but God has promised through Abraham that something better is coming. So then there's the third covenant. So we've got Abraham, we got Moses, now we're back to the Messiah. We're back to Jesus. What's called the new covenant. The new covenant is where we come in, okay? We're not Jewish, but God said, hey, I'm going to pull in the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and I'm going to bless them with the Messiah. The Messiah came to seek and save the lost. The Messiah came to restore heaven and earth back to itself, to cut out that space where God lives. Okay? And then we have the ability now to be one with God. Listen to this, and I hope you believe it. To be one with a holy God that created the universe is available to you. And I want you just to consider that thought right there, because I don't know if that invitation has ever been put that dramatically. You have the ability to enter into a new deal, a a, a deal, a covenant, with the creator of the universe, a holy God, and it's got the same requirement that Abraham had, just to believe. And I can leave it there, but, the, but I think the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, they try to keep it easy. They give you a thousand ways to understand this. What does it mean to believe? Well, you've got to have faith. Well, what is faith? Well, it's kind of the same thing as believe, except maybe you put your weight on it. Maybe you trust it more. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm going to, go, I'm going to allow this deal to happen where I'm cutting it in blood. It's serious. It's a decision. So then obedience. What does obedience mean? It's the same thing as obey. It really is. It, or it's the same thing as faith and, and, and belief. It comes from the same root word. It's all the same. It's like, hey, This is a decision, so it's serious. I'm going to exchange who I am and enter into this oneness relationship with a holy God. And you might say, hey, I'm good. I'm autonomous. I don't need God. 
okay, well, if you don't think you need God, then you're not going to allow this deal to happen, or you're not going to enter into this deal. But you're on your own there, okay? By the free choice he gave you. He loves you so much that he said, you know what? I'm a gentleman. I'm inviting you here. I'm inviting, inviting you into this oneness relationship. But it's your choice. The barrier of entry into this life couldn't be easier. And remember, it's a unilateral covenant. A lot of Christians confuse this. They think once you enter into this thing, now you've got all these responsibilities to perform. And I'm telling you, you don't. It is not that kind of covenant. It's not. And I'm going to talk about that in, in, in just a second once I clear out this, 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 this New Testament uh, idea here, this, this new covenant idea, which is a covenant of restoration. Okay, which is, remember the two circles coming together? This new covenant is when heaven and earth are in the same place for those that are in the covenant. Those that are in the deal, you're in heaven and earth now. Yeah, right now. now I tried to, to come to Christ in college with an idea that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And if you go to any funeral, you're going to hear somehow this person made it into heaven. You know, and imagine when you're at your own funeral, what is that pastor going to say or the person that's talking about your life? You're going to get your eulogy. But they're going to try to find a way to get you into heaven based on some idea that maybe at one point you were in this deal, in this covenant. Just to make everybody feel better that you're not somewhere else. And I say that to challenge you. If you're challenged by that, good. I hope you are. I hope you evaluate where you're at. Are you in a covenant with God or are you not? It's really bilateral or by binary in that nature. You're either in or out. God doesn't grade on the curve. If you think God's going to judge you based on how well you did down here with the rest of us, he's not. That's not how God operates. That's not a deal. That's not a deal in the Bible. It's just not. And you're going to come up short, I promise you, if you don't have this deal which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus, you know how it said Jesus is the Lamb of God? Everybody agrees with that, right? That's easy. Well, he was also the tabernacle, it says. He was already operating in that presence of heaven and earth because he was the Son of God, and he wasn't born of a man. He was born of the Spirit and a woman. A Theo, God, Theo, Anthropus, man. Theo, Anthropus, the God, man the perfect animal to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. So, not only that, but he did it willingly. So he's also the high priest that does the, does the, 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 the bloodletting. He's also the tabernacle, which is the place in which it happens. And he's also the deal maker, because he is God. So it sounds like a, even a better deal than Abraham, right? Not only did Abraham receive this covenant by laying down and kind of hanging out on his back, sleeping, you know, dreaming and getting this deal cut, but now you've got this opportunity to be in a, a covenant where Jesus Christ does everything. And when you receive this covenant, if you choose to, 
then basically there's an exchange where his life comes into you, heaven comes into earth, and you go into it, and there's an exchange where you become one with Jesus and one with God. And by the way, that's a permanent arrangement. It's a different economy when you're in there. If you understand that economy, then you can relax and rest and enjoy God. Like Scott was talking about where he's pursuing God, but God's already got him and he knows that and he can chill and rest. It is hard to receive that understanding if you're on a performance cycle where you've always had to earn people's approval. If you've always had to perform to get liked or you perform to get what you needed out of life, this is going to be difficult for you to let that go and understand that you're in a new deal. But I'm telling you, the more you believe it, the more you grow in it and understand it, this life becomes amazing because there's nothing that compares to your deal down here on earth. There's nothing that could happen to you or that you could get that you think would make you happy that would even measure up to this deal. It's not even in the same category. This earthly deal, this earthly transactional life that you have here on earth does not satisfy. It won't. It's never meant to. It's all a lie. It's a lie. You can enjoy it down here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have fun. I have family, I have meaning and purpose, I have love, I have a beautiful wife that loves me. I enjoy my life. But that's nothing compared to this deal that I have in Christ, this new covenant, this oneness with God. This is the spirit life. This is who you can be and where you can operate, and you operate within that economy. If you choose to. But you've got to get out of the way, too. Okay, because this, this deal is a, uh, this is a, this is a God deal and a Christ deal. He wants to live his life through you. He never promises in one spot does he say, it's going to be easy, man. It's going to be a cakewalk on the physical side. He never says that. And it's never the case. I mean, look at Paul. Like Paul writes most of this understanding that I have and he got, he, I don't know that I would trade places with the guy. He's getting hammered all the time for this new deal. He brought this new deal in, and he's getting persecuted for it, beat for it. He's been shipwrecked. He's been maligned. He's been lied about. He's been undermined. He's been, he runs, but in his spirit, in his mind, he has already achieved spiritual wholeness on earth. He is all 100% good and complete. And he says, I'm one with God. To live is Christ, he says, to die is gain. Jesus Christ is his identity. So we're talking about, this is where identity comes into play. Identity is when you understand that you're in this deal with, with a holy God in Jesus Christ through the blood of the covenant, which was his blood, and it was a unilateral deal where he did it, he paid it all, you received it as a gift, but he doesn't want you to walk around in debt to it. He wants you to walk around in an understanding of it, to enjoy it, to reckon it so. 
There's that Bible verse. Reckon it so phrase. Live with a confidence that it's true. That Jesus Christ is now your brother. And you are His brother. And the Father sees Him and you, and you and Him, and approves of you. If your Father is not like that, maybe trade your Father in for this Father. That's, that's what I've done wholesale. It was in, it, 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 my, my Father in heaven sees me in light of Jesus Christ. I don't feel guilty. I don't feel afraid. I feel loved. I feel accepted 100%. When I reckon it so, I, I struggle down here big time. I do make poor decisions. I get fooled into bad choices. All right? But my Father will never leave me, never forsake me. Because He cut a deal with me through the blood of His Son. So, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm being pretty intense here. I'm usually funnier than this. Um, in the Bible, though, you want to say, well, it's, this is all hocus-pocus, man. It's a book. Well, that's the biggest hoax ever pulled off on humankind. That one man walking around that acknowledged that he was God got away with it. And 2,000 years later, people are following him. Come on. If you care enough to study the Bible, you'll find out that this prophecy that in Jeremiah, which was one of the prophets, said, this new deal's coming. It's coming. Jeremiah 31, 33. He will cause us to walk in His commandments. He will cause us. Remember that unilateral deal where He's coming in? You're one with Him. You're in the heavenly places now. Heaven and earth has come together if you're a believer in Christ. You are in heaven right now, which is a weird thought, and heaven is in you. That space cut out between the two worlds, the physical and the spiritual, you're in there. Maybe you don't know that. I hope if you don't, you do now, as I just told you. There's pretty good in that world. (laughs) You are. And you're like, well, what does that difference does that make? It it makes all the difference, 100% of the difference. Because you're accepted and you're holy by proxy. Proxy means, hey, man, I didn't bring a whole lot into this new deal. Like, I got to tell you, it was the best deal ever. He got my sin, he got my gap and deficit, and he wanted it, and then I got his wholeness and his holiness and his, 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 his heir, uh, his, his oneness with the Father now is my oneness. I'm one with God in Christ, sealed in blood, his blood, and his spirit that confirms in me that the deal's good. All right. If you don't think you're worthy for this deal, maybe you're right. Thus, this word grace. Getting what you don't deserve, but you were created for this deal. You were created as a human being to have this relationship. He wants you to be in this deal. You have full invitation into this covenant. And that barrier of entry 
is as easy as it can be. You just got to believe and put yourself into it or allow yourself to receive it. There's a lot of different words I could use to fall short, but you just got to want it bad enough, believe it. And then if you think, man, I think I did that. I'm not sure. Well, if all you have to do is think about this, this might be an easy way to think about it. Let's say you do die and then you get out, you get in front of this, say this judge, if there is one, I'm not saying this is how it's going to go down. I don't think it is. But it says, hey, why should you get into my kingdom? Or just go back to your own funeral. Hey, why is this person getting in? Why, do they go, why are they going to heaven? If you attach anything but belief and faith in Jesus Christ to your explanation, I would not be comfortable that you have it. But if you say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. His blood left the crimson stained, he washed it white as snow. He is my only, only reason. That's it. I'd be a great dramatic place to stop, but I, I got more to say since I, I don't get up here very often. So, How much time do I have? Five minutes? Oh, I have to stretch that into ten. Okay. So I heard a thing on economy that here's the thing about being, being in the spirit world. Okay, because if I'm cut out in that place where it's physical and the spiritual meet, that means that I'm in the presence of God because of Jesus. Okay, so therefore, I want to know what's the deal. I want to know what's going on. What do I have access to? What is he thinking? What does he want me to know? And a lot of it's by faith. So this means that I'm operating it without some major clarity. But I've got to go with my spiritual senses. What do I think God's saying to me right now? Or what is God saying to me right now? You talk to some people, they like, it seems pretty clear to them. For me, not always that clear. So I just do what I want to do when I'm checking upstairs. I'll tilt my head up like, okay, I want to know. But sometimes I just freelance and I don't want to know. Because I really want to do this because it seems like a lot of fun. And I get myself into trouble. So, but I never feel like he's separated from me. He's, I'm like a little kid that's dumb, you know, like, hey, there he goes. Watch him. He's going to hit the, he's going to hit the wall. Ah, come on, get back over here. should have listened to me. You know, this relationship is how I see my wonderful, loving, perfect father. I'm operating under his purview. And he's putting up a fence so, a lot of times so I don't run off the cliff. I trust him to do that because God knows I'm going to do that. If, I'll, run that I'll run right off there. I, I, anyway, I, I'm, I'm kind of being dramatic about that but you all know what i mean i never run outside of his love or his acceptance or his family i never can i cannot send myself out of this covenant either did you hear what i said you cannot get out of this thing that's good news because if you think the father in heaven operates like other people down here he does not he is a different CEO, a different manager. He's not built on performance acceptance. He's built on the acceptance of a covenant. When, I'm just going to speak for God here, okay? hope I don't get struck by lightning. When I cut a covenant in the blood of my son, you can't undo that. So if you think you can undo that or you're insecure in your relationship with God, don't be. <laughs> I don't need to explain it. 
don't be, because you didn't cut the deal in the first place. You weren't worthy of entry. You were made worthy when you came in. And now you're as worthy as Jesus. So if you're in this covenant, when I see Al sitting over there, I know that Al is 100% accepted by God. He's wholly blameless, beyond reproach, period. And if he forgets that about himself, I'm going to remind him. And I hope he does the same for me. So now I've got nothing on you Christians. We are one in Christ. It's easy to forgive you even when you screw up because you're in the same deal that I'm in. We're in the family of God. We have real fellowship. Now, it's not normal. That should be like too good to be true. There's a thing in the world. Let's, let's just take the spiritual deal off the, just, just set it aside so I can explain how the world works. The physical economy. There's a thing called moral hazard that I heard this week, and I've been overusing to the people I talk to. Moral hazard is that there's got to be some serious consequences, otherwise you're not going to have the incentive to do the right thing. You understand? Pain, pleasure, the stick, the rod. You screw up, you're going to get a spanking. All right? I gave my sons a major spanking on this uh, Jordan Peterson thing because they showed up way too late and put me, made me late. And I had people waiting for me. And I let them have it. Old school. I mean, I didn't actually spank them because they're bigger than me. But I let them have it for a good 25 minutes. Oh, yeah. It was brutal. They laugh about it. There were, there's a couple of them right there laughing about it. It was old school. But see, they were under moral hazard because if you make me late and I'm paying for these tickets, all right, and you're going to embarrass me like that when I've got people to meet up there, all right? So I'm, I don't operate like that's a physical moral hazard. If you remove any penalty, if, you don't, if you're just a normal person that has no, no, no spiritual uh, power or awareness, you're going to take advantage of that. You're not going to have incentive. Humans are awful at that. Humans failed that... The, the humans that were in that, that performance covenant failed miserably. So what keeps this new deal where you have no moral hazard, where you're not going to be judged based on your behavior and your performance, how do you operate under this new covenant of Jesus Christ when there's no stick waiting for you at the end? Or there's no stick waiting for you while you're in it? Seems like a free lunch, right? No such thing as a free lunch. Well, I would agree with you down here on the economy of the earth, of the physical, but in the spiritual, kind of sounds like a free lunch in Christ. And you may say, well, I don't believe that, Luke. I think you're full of it. But you may be conflating two covenants. Now, here's another thing. In this new covenant, guess what you get as a, as a major, major benefit? You get the Spirit and the presence of God in you. You get a new creation status in that you receive God Himself. And He gives you His mind and access to it. He is the only one that could allow you to handle a free lunch without taking advantage and screwing it up. So He's in you and works through you and influences you in ways you don't even know about in this new covenant 
that allows you to walk in His commandments by His power and His doing. He gives you the ability to handle a life without moral hazard. Now, I believe that. And I have complete, total rest and trust Him for that. Because I still make bad choices and make bad decisions. And I'm still in this physical world, this earth part. And I have to pay the consequences for bad choices down here. Okay? The older you get, sometimes they change. Like if I eat the wrong thing after 6 6 p.m., I got heartburn. I mean, I could get in a lot more trouble as a kid, you know, when I was... But but that's... that's, I get moral... That has nothing to do with God and the covenant, though. You know what I mean? That's a physical consequence down here. Okay? But for God and the economy, I'm in the garden with Him. I'm in His presence. I can't get myself out of it. I don't want to get myself out of it. Everything's good in, in that. I hope that all makes sense to you. So Moses, and they all kind of led up to each other. So Moses, Abraham was a promise, Moses was a preparation, and Jesus delivered. Easter's coming, people. One thing you get in this new one, if you understand it, is a, grat- is a lot of gratitude and thankfulness. And the fruit of the Spirit is everything that comes with it. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these beautiful virtue, virtues and, and, and uh, things that are useful for everyone of your, of your people that you're around come with the covenant if you just let it flow. Let it, let, it, let it come through you. Walk and reckon it so. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your covenant. We thank you for how you do business with us. We don't fully understand it completely sometimes, but we're growing and learning in it as, as we continue to walk in your life. We walk in newness of life. We walk in holiness because we're walking in your presence. We, we can say some crazy things that are true of us that we can't see, but we know are true because you said it's true. You've communicated through your word that we are complete in you, holy, blameless, beyond reproach. Help us to believe it more and to walk in it more and to grow in it and to share it and to experience it with each other so that we can love one another in a useful way. We pray that you take care of all these physical things down here that we're concerned about as well. We know you care about us, so you care about those things. So if we, can't, if we can't get them fixed or removed, help us to endure them in the Spirit. Help us to be useful in the, in the midst of challenge and tragedy. Help us to love one another when they fail us. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in His name we pray. Amen.